Acts chapter 4. I want to encourage you, uh, we've taken some time and committed to praying for our church for 66 days, and it has been 56 days, and so today is the 56th day, so if you continue to pray for our church and ask that God's will be done in it, and I pray that um, you would continue to do that and continue to pray every single day for that, I pray that you would not stop also at 66 days, but continue, and I like what Brother Shepherd said this morning, that oftentimes we can get into an automatic prayer where it just becomes words that we're saying. But uh, I would continue to ask you to pray specifically for that. I want to ask you a question this morning. Or, uh, this first time I preached today, so I'm in the morning mode, all right, this evening. question is, what will it take to stop you? What will it take to stop you? In 1956, there's a lady by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. She was a widow. 1956, her husband was speared to death by a tribe of Aka Indians. And most amazingly, they killed her husband, and she decided that that was not going to stop her. And she went back, and she ministered and was a missionary to that exact same group of Indians that killed her husband. Do you know how difficult that must have been? You know how hard that must have been to go and look the people in the eye that had speared her husband to death. That would have been absolutely incredible. But I ask you again, what will it take to stop you? You see, there's certain things that it takes to stop certain people. Everybody has their breaking point. You know, back in the first century, sometimes we, it was, you know, the stake, being burned at the stake. That might have been what it took to stop people. Maybe in, in, in communist Russia, it's a shooting line where they're going to line up and be shot if they proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes in North America in the 21st century, it's my car's breaking down. Kind of puts things into perspective, doesn't it? What will it take to stop you? You see, last week we looked at the fact that the opposition had begun. We looked at the fact that These men, Peter and John, were at the gate beautiful, and they were going into the temple at the hour of prayer, the Bible says, and they get in there, and they're beginning to hear this man asking for alms, and Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The man jumps up and walks, and God gets the glory for it, and immediately... He begins to preach the message of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. As we learned last week, there's the Sadducees in this group, and they hear that these men are preaching not only the name of Jesus Christ, but they're preaching that there's a resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Sadducees do not believe in a resurrection, and so they could not have anything to do with this, let alone the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the opposition begins. And so we see the fact that these people are getting angry, but let's see what goes on here as we continue the story in Acts chapter 4. If you'll look with me in verse 15, the Bible says this. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they have Peter and John here in the council, and they say, you guys need to step out of the council, out of the room for a little bit, out of the council chambers, and we need to discuss what we're going to do with you. Verse 16. 
saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. I love this. They can't deny that something amazing has happened here. They have no answer to it. They can't say anything. They, listen, something amazing happened, and we, we can't say anything about that. Look at verse 17. But that it is spread no further among the people. We don't want it to spread any further. We want it to stay within these 5,000 people as we see uh, in the earlier part of this chapter. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them. That they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak, of, speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Listen, you can do whatever you want. You can speak in whatever name you want. You can get up and, and talk, but don't speak in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, Judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Watch this, I love this. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. You know why that's amazing? Because he was lame from his mother's womb. For over 40 years he was lame, and in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, folks, he jumped up, and he got his strength back in his feet. Let's pray, and we'll continue our message. Father, we thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for your blood that was shed so that we might have an eternal home in heaven. Father, that as you look at our sins, you no longer see sin, you see your son's blood covering them. Father, may we never lose sight of that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of scripture that we'll look at tonight. And Father, help us to never quit. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach to you a message I've entitled, The Effectiveness of the Opposition. The Effectiveness of the Opposition. We learned that the opposition is beginning. So now how effective were they? How, how, how did their threatenings work? How did their, their requirements work? What worked? What was effective for the opposition? Well, I want you to think about something else with me this evening. I want you to think about this. Satan is only effective when we allow him to be. Think about that. Satan is only effective when we allow him to be. You get that? You know the old saying, Satan made me do it or the devil made me do it? Listen, you can be tempted, but you can never be tempted above that you are able because God provides a way of escape. So Satan is only effective when we allow him to be. So what's it going to take for you to quit? What is it going to take for you to stop? What, what will stop you? What will make you quit? Here we are with Peter and John. Here we are being threatened. Here we are being chastised for preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ and healing a lame man. The question is this, why is it that there are some people that prevail and others fall away? Why is it that some churches continue to go on and others fall? 
Why is it that there are churches even in St. Thomas right now that are closing their doors, that are amalgamating together and, and coming together because they can't afford to stay open? Why is it that there are churches across this country that close their doors and continue to close their doors? Why is it? Why is it that some people continue for the cause of Christ and others just quit? Why are there some people no longer in the service of the Lord? Why are there some people who throw in the towel? If we can overcome Satan, then why does Satan seem to be overcoming us? If we can overcome Satan, then why does it seem that Satan is overcoming us? Why do we quit? Why do we quit? Well, I believe one of the major reasons is because of our lack of mission or vision. Our lack of mission or vision. You can think about that for a few minutes, but while you're doing that, think about Philippians chapter 3. Over there with me, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Keep your finger there in Acts chapter 4. We'll be back there. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14, 13, excuse me. The Bible says this, Brethren, I can't count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, watch this, forgetting those things which are behind, and watch this again, and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, so often people fail. And I believe one major reason people fail is because they no longer press toward the mark. They no longer forget those things which are behind. And they no longer look forward to those things which are before. They don't press toward the mark. They have no mission. They have no vision. They don't look down the road. The only thing they do is they turn their back and look at what used to be. So I want to challenge you with three areas of our lives that mission will keep us on track that mission will keep us on track you see the title of the message is the effectiveness of the opposition if we are to allow the opposition to be effective then don't do these three things don't have a mission don't have a vision vision just relax just backslide as we like to say and just do what Satan wants you to do. But if you want to go forward, if you want to prevail, if you want to continue to live, if you want to be God's church, then I want to show you three areas of our lives that mission will keep us on track. Number one, the mission will disrupt the defiant. The mission will disrupt the defiant. It's going to happen. Watch. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. Peter and John have already healed the lame man. Peter and John have already spoken of Jesus Christ. And look at what happens in verse four, chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, watch this, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
You see, the mission will disrupt the defiant. These people were defiant that Jesus Christ, number one, was Lord. These people were defiant that, number two, Jesus Christ even rose from the dead. And so these people, John and and Peter, they're disrupting that. They're disrupting the fact that, oh no, they could be right. And we talked about this last week, the reason for the opposition, because they don't want to be proven wrong. And so often the mission will disrupt the defiant. I read of a story, and actually they have a movie out about it. It's, it's called Rudy. It's based on a story of Daniel Rudinger. And he had a dream for playing on the team of the Notre Dame firing, Fighting Irish, the football team. Rudy only weighed 165 pounds, and he was five foot six. That's not a basketball player, let alone a football player, especially in a Division I college sport. He was not a very big boy at all. Notre Dame had a rule back then that you could walk onto the field and try out for the football team. His grades were not good. He was obviously not a very good football player, so he was not getting a scholarship, and he was not being a scholarship for his grades either, but he was able to get into the college of Notre Dame, and he gets in and he walks onto the field to try to try out for the football team. He tries out, and eventually he makes it onto what is called the scout team, which was basically the practice team that scrimmaged against the real team. And so Rudy, being five foot six, 165 pounds, would fight and scram and try to get in and try to disrupt what was going on with the real team, because that was his job. His job was to be a defensive end and and try to get in and get the quarterback and disrupt what was going on. But the fact of the matter was, there were men bigger than him. There were men stronger than him. There were men that, that wanted it sometimes more than he did, and so they began to make fun of him. You're too small. You're runt. Your name's not Rudy, your name's Runt, and began to give him these things and, and, and almost, almost be defiant against him. Rudy thought, no, no, no. He kept pushing. He kept working hard. He would disrupt their plays, tackle hard, hit hard. Nothing was going to stop him. And the things that people would say would not, dis- would not stop him. In 1974, Rudy got to play as the defensive end in the last three plays of the final home game for the Fighting Irish. And he recorded in that game his first and his only real game statistic. You know what it was? He sacked the quarterback. Sacked the quarterback in the final play of the game. You see, Rudy was not going to let anything stop him. You see, this is a secular, worldly thing that we look to and go, wow, that's amazing. A five foot six, 165, by the way, that's smaller than I am. And I'm not a very big guy, but I would not fare well on a football team. This guy wasn't going to let anything stop him. He wasn't going to let what people said about him stop him. And so often we, we, we look at these stories and we go, yeah, that's amazing. But what about spiritually? What about us? Who's defying us? Let's get honest. There's a world out there defying us. There's a world out there that's defying us. You know what the Bible says about the apostles? The Bible says that these men turned the world upside down. You know what that is? That's disrupting the defiant. 
The mission will always disrupt the defiant. You know, well, there's another story of disrupting the defiant in the Bible. The story of David and Goliath. You know what Goliath was doing? He said this, I defy the armies of, the, of Israel. I defy the God of Israel. And you know what happened? David said, there's a mission. He said, is there not a cause? And before you know it, Goliath is laying on his back with a stone sunk in his forehead. Disrupts the defiant. Folks, the mission will always, I believe, always disrupt the defiant. Number two, I want you to see this. The mission will overcome obstacles. The mission will overcome obstacles. If you'll continue in, in Acts chapter 4 with me and look at verse 17, the Bible says these men are, 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 are again, conversing among themselves and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with Peter and John. Look what the Bible says in verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them. That they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. So they begin to place these obstacles in front of them. Listen, if you guys don't stop talking, we're going to do this to you. You better stop talking about Jesus Christ. And they begin to put obstacles in the way. And they begin to throw those things in the way and say, listen, you are not going to do this anymore. We're going to try and make it as difficult as possible for you to fulfill your mission. But listen, there's these things called obstacle courses. People actually do these things. Where they go into an obstacle course and try to get to the end. Keith invited me last year to a Spartan race. I still regret the fact that I didn't go, but I'm too old and fat and way out of shape. But the Spartan race, there's, there's three different areas of a Spartan race. There's a Spartan sprint. And this is the website's definition of what the Spartan sprint is. The Spartan sprint puts endurance aside and tests your quickness through a five-kilometer loaded with 20 obstacles. A great starter distance for beginners. <laughs> yeah, I laugh too. Or a perfect test against time for the more advanced racer. Number two, the Spartan Super is as much a mental as it is physical, spanning over 13 kilometers that are just as unforgiving as the 25 obstacles that litter the distance. Then there's the Spartan Beast. It's just plain hard, it says. This is our longest and most difficult race out of the three main race types and is aptly named for its brutal 21-kilometer circuit with 30 obstacles that try to keep you, watch this, from your finish line. And thousands of people will gather and thousands of people over and over and over gather to run an obstacle course. And we think it's fun. Listen, I liked that stuff when I was younger. But, I mean, just dumb, Right? Who would want to put obstacles in their way and try to make it to a finish line? The fact of the matter is this. Obstacles will always be in your way. Always. Doesn't matter what it is. Obstacles in your marriage. Obstacles in your finances. 
obstacles with your children. Obstacles, 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 obstacles. And it's going to be a long road and it's going to be tiring and it's going to be hard. And you're going you're to get sick and tired of going up and under and over and through. And all of these obstacles, you're going to get sick of it. But people do this every day for what purpose? I don't really know. I don't really understand what the purpose is other than gratification that I conquered the Spartan race. You get a medal or something, right? It's about it. Folks, but there are people giving up every single day because of a few obstacles. But if our mission is on point and we're focused on that mission, it doesn't matter what gets in our way. It doesn't matter if I'm trying to become a Navy SEAL or, 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 or part of something greater than, than anything else. My mission, and I don't care what obstacle gets in front of me, I'm going to continue. Paul says the same thing. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians with me. Verse 11. Chapter 11, excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23. Their mission will overcome obstacles. The Bible says this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. This is Paul speaking. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. I wouldn't get through the first one. I couldn't make it over the first obstacle, yet Paul said, nothing is going to stop me. Nothing is going to stop me from fulfilling the mission. Nothing is going to stop me from getting to the finish line. I press toward the mark. I don't care how many obstacles you throw at me. I don't care how long it takes me to get over it. I will finish. Folks, the mission will overcome obstacles. In college, we had all kinds of preachers come in for chapel and, and for church services and all kinds of different things and speak to college students. And they would come in with all kinds of statistics on how, uh, how many, what percentage of college students would make it and, and fulfill their God-given role in a ministry somewhere. The percentage was quite low, actually. And I don't say this to toot my own horn, but you know what I thought? Who else is going to be there with me? What's the other 20% that's going to be there with me? Because at the age of 12, folks, listen to this. At the age of 12, God called me to preach. And I said, I'm never going to turn back from that. Have there been obstacles in the way? 100%. Will there be obstacles in the way? 100%. Listen. But the mission will overcome obstacles. If I ever get out of ministry, it will be because I lost sight of the vision. It's because I lost sight of the mission. 
It's because I began to focus on the, the war wounds and the things that are around me and, and, and the people that are maybe falling around me and get discouraged and frustrated. Folks, if I ever step out of the ministry, it will be because I lost the mission. But even if I do, don't you. Don't you step out. Don't you lose focus on the mission. Number three and finally, the mission will transcend the threatening. The mission will transcend the threatening. If you go back to Acts chapter 4 with me. Acts chapter 4, look with me in verse 21. The mission will transcend the threatening. Watch this. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they, could, how they might punish them because of the people for all men glorify God for that which was done. You see, the fact of the matter is what their whole goal in this whole thing was, we're going to threaten them. I don't know what they threatened them with. I just happen to know that crucifixion was a real thing. I just happen to know that beatings was a real thing. I happen to know that scourgings was a real thing at this time. There's all kinds of different things they could have threatened them with. I don't know what it was, but the fact of the matter was they threatened them. But this did not matter to Peter and John. This did not matter because we'll see as we continue through this that they went home and they continued to talk about Jesus. The mission will transcend threatenings. There are times, there are times in our life when we will be threatened. We'll be threatened. There was a time when you were threatened with your life. I again challenge every person in this room to find a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs and start reading. You probably won't get very far before you have to put the book down. And as I prepared for this message, I read through many horrible things that people went through because they would not lose the mission. They would not recant. They would not say that they were not a Christian. They wouldn't do it because the mission transcended. It overcame any threatenings that any person could ever give. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ transcended his threatenings. Jesus Christ was told that he would be put on a cross. But you know what? His mission was clear. His mission was, was to be on the cross. His mission was to, to, to pay for the sins of the entire world and it didn't matter what the threatenings were. Didn't matter that now he would be scourged as well. Didn't matter now that he would have his beard plucked from him. It overcame the threatenings. The important part of all of this is the mission, folks. The mission. Some of you might say this, Pastor Jones, I don't have a mission that I'm willing to die for. Pastor Yeomans, I don't have a mission that I'm willing to overcome anything for. I don't have a, a mission to even stand up for. I don't, I don't really have a mission. Can I give you one this evening? Would that be all right? 
I believe that this mission is the same mission of David. When he tried to conquer Goliath, I believe it's the same mission of Paul. As he fought through all these things, and I believe it was the mission of Jesus Christ, and I believe it's the mission of Peter and John here in this passage. Would you look at me with me, Acts chapter 4, look at verse 19 and 20, the only thing that Peter and John say in this passage. And I believe it gives us a glimpse of what their mission was. Watch this. Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God, clue number one, to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Watch this. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You see, their priority was God. Their mission was God. Their mission was to give and to speak the things that they had seen and heard. What were the things that they had seen and heard? For three and a half years, for three and a half years, they walked and talked and watched and heard Christ say amazing things and Christ do amazing things. And they say, listen, we will not do anything except for what we have seen and heard. You know what the problem is with our lives? We're the same way. We do the things that we see and we hear. Well, you say that's a good thing, right, Pastor Yeomans? Well, it depends on what you're seeing and what you're hearing. You see, so often we put things in front of our face and in our ears that are not God. And before you know it, our mission has changed. We don't have the mission of God anymore. We don't have the mission of, of giving our lives to God. We don't have the mission of serving God. We don't have the mission of fulfilling the will of God. We have the mission of, well, actually, I don't even know what my mission is. Or my mission is myself, to please myself, to do what I want to do. That wasn't Peter and John. Peter and John remember the words of Jesus Christ. Peter and John remember the things of Jesus Christ and what he did. And they said, listen, we will serve Christ. We are going to do those things and speak those things that we have heard. Listen, if you want to judge whether it's right to do what you say or what God says, that's for you to judge. We already know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We will not bow we will go through the fiery furnace. What is it going to take, folks, Bible Baptist Church, what is it going to take for you to quit? I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll look at David. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, and David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to this man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, watch this, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Jump down to verse 29. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Verse 36. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Jump down to verse 45. 
Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. Watch, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. You see, David's mission was the exact same as Peter and John's. It's God. It's God. God is my mission. You defy my God and we're going to battle. You defy my God. I don't care if everybody else is scared stiff. I will not stand for it. I will disrupt those that defy. Let's move over into Philippians chapter 3. We'll look at Paul. Bet you can already guess what his mission is. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. Paul says this, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith watch this again why that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead Paul's goal, to know God, to know, have the knowledge of Christ Jesus, to, to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That was Paul's goal. Let's look at Jesus, Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, if you would look with me in verse 39, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, takes with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and goes and a little further and prays. Verse 39, the Bible says this, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me, watch, nevertheless, not as I will. But as thou wilt. And if he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42 he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh my Father, if this cup may not pass from me except I drink it, here it is again, thy will be done. You see, it didn't matter what threatenings, it didn't matter what scourgings, it didn't matter what cross, it didn't matter what sin was placed upon him, it was the will of God. Can I give you a mission tonight? 
God. You say, Pastor Owens, come on. We hear that all the time. Oh, serve God. Give God your life. Do what God wants you to do. There will come a day in your life, whether it's already come or it hasn't, when you will be persecuted, when you will be defied, when you will be threatened, when obstacles will be put in your way, what is it going to take for you to quit? I I guarantee you this. If your mission and your vision is to reach God and to, to, he's your goal. And to fulfill his will is your absolute necessary food. That's all I want to do is just please God and see him and keep him as my vision. I guarantee you this, you will not quit. I guarantee it. You go through anything. You may die, but you won't quit. We get married and we talk about these vows that we have and how wonderful they are. And we say, until death do us part. And all the women swoon and it's just so wonderful and happy. And then what happens? Honeymoon period's over. Your husband says some snide remark to you. And you're going to faint. Oh my, what have I gotten myself into? We say these things, but we never realize what they mean or what is coming. And folks, we sing, I surrender all, and we sing, take my life and let it be, and folks, I'll be the first to stand in line here. I love those songs, and I, I sing them, and I, I think I mean them, but folks, what's the mission? What's the mission? I want to give you... Two verses and I'll be finished. Two passages, I should say. Romans chapter 12 with me, please. Most of you know where I'm going. Romans 12. Very familiar passage. You may be asking this question. Why should God be my mission? Why should fulfilling his will be my mission? Let me give you a reason why. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore. Let's stop there. Why is he begging us? Because in Romans chapter 11, he explains for a long time what Christ has done for us. That he died on the cross. That he was buried. That he arose. That that he grafted us into the vine. And now Gentiles have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And that we have an eternity in, in, in heaven because of Jesus Christ. Watch this. I beseech you because of that. I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye what? You present your bodies. What? Get this. A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. Why? Which is your reasonable service. Then he says this, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, it's not, it's not going to happen 
It's not going to happen if we allow Satan. It's not going to happen if we lose our mission. We must, we must present our bodies a living sacrifice. Folks, this is what I think we ought to do almost on a daily basis. God, you died for me. I will do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes to give my life back to you. You went through everything. Get this, you went through hell literally for me. And though this earth may get frustrating, and and though these problems may hurt, and though my car may not run anymore, or though my kids may be giving me trouble, or though my marriage may not be what it should be, I will do anything. Paul said, I die daily. It's not about me. It's about my mission. Last verse, Hebrews chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. Romans 12, Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We believe that the writer of Hebrews is Paul. Look what he says here in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. There's Satan. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Watch now. Watch what it says. Looking unto who? Jesus. Watch. The author and finisher of our faith. Who? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and set it down, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to look to Jesus. Watch this, verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Here it is. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Why should I choose Christ as my mission? Why should I choose him? First of all, because he died for your sins. He, he gave his life for you. It's natural to give it back to God. And if we don't, look at verse 3 again. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to distract you? From Christ. Folks, for a year from now, I would hope to see every person that's in this room here again still and more. Because our mission is Christ. Our mission is God and serving Him and doing His will. And there's a mission that will defy or deny that it disrupt the defiant. A mission that will overcome obstacles and a mission that will transcend any threat. What's it going to take for you to quit? Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us.